last year on the Big Red Potion Game of the Year show. I couldn't take my eyes away from the screen most of the time, especially during the first few hours. The problem is that the game lasts longer than the first few hours. <laughs> because my heart grew two sizes when I played Demon Souls. <laughs> the BRP judges nominated their games of the year. Mass Effect 2. Super Mario Galaxy 2. Demon Souls. Mass Effect 2. Even if it's just redemption for last year, I will go with Demon Souls. And then, controversy. I can't believe we have two games of the years with so pathetic. <laughs> That <laughs> <laughs> well, wouldn't be Big Red Potion, though, would it? <laughs> exactly. This year, only one game can be crowned Game of the Year. Otherwise, in a new twist, Joe gets kicked off the podcast again. Been fun, guys. Fighting for their games, this year's judges, Jeffrey Matler. I have grown to despise Red Dead Redemption. Eddie Inzato. It just feels like a liberated game. Gary Zanteriad Blower. I was blown away with how good it was. Joe Delia! And number one would be Heavy Red. I'm kidding. Sinan Kuba! I think that's an astonishing achievement. It's time! I think it was marvelously successful. To talk! For me, it was horribly mediocre. About video games! And it is, for me, by some distance, the best game I've played this year. Gamers Network and by GamerNode.com, you're listening to Big Red Potion, the podcast that consumed too many holiday games and is now stuck on the toilet of the internet, ready to unleash verbal diarrhea. Mm. Before we go on, I'm going to thank James Batchelor of Game Burst for his Peter Dixon-esque performance in the introduction you just heard, uh, just before the triumphant return of the hopefully familiar Big Red Potion theme. Do you remember that, Joe? That, that theme we used to have on the show? I've heard it, you know, once or twice. It's crazy, right? Yeah. We're bringing it back for 2012. Right, so joining me for our third annual pursuit of a Big Red Game of the Year are all four regular guests of the show. And who better to start off with than everyone's favourite Game of No director, Eddie Inzato. Hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? Hey, Eddie. We also have freelance journalist and now radio superstar Jeffrey Matleff. Hey, guys. He was on Radio 5, you know. We also have the comprehensive podcasting force who is the host of the Ninja, Fat Pigeons and Game Burst replay show. But we like to call him Gary Zantiriad Blower. Hey, Zan. Hey, how are you all doing? Very good, thank you. And finally, we are joined by the man who puts the chaos into Splinter Cell Chaos Fury, the one and only Joseph Delia, who you heard before. Hello, Joe. It's a me. It's a you. Joining us from the conference room of place you work at yes yes i booked a conference room for myself for this very important conference yes a very long conference ahead of us let's try and get cracking into it so gentlemen are you ready to talk about video games what came out last year always mm-hmm. excellent. excellent let me ex- <laughs> thank you jeff let me explain how this is all going to go down as always we're not providing a top 10 games of the year but just our pick of 10 of the best games of the year 
Long-time listeners may spot a hybrid of our first and second year formats in this year's GOTY show because we'll also be revealing our personal top five lists halfway through the show, after which we'll take a look at our final three games, which, based on the nominations and voting uh, in those top five lists, look like possible contenders for the crown of Big Red Game of the Year. We'll also have uh, a few awards. Um, And just as a final reminder, all five of us have missed games. Some of us have few more than others uh but at the end of the day we're all just human beings with faults and stuff and this is just our humble opinion so take what we say with a pinch of salt So our first game appears on two of our lists. It pops in at Jeff's list at number five and at Eddie's list at number four. But I'm going to turn to Jeff to explain to us why the gold and black hue of Idis Montreal's creation, that is Deus Ex Human Revolution, deserves mention in 2011. Jeff, over to you. Uh, sure. So I had actually never played a Deus Ex game before this one, so I was kind of skeptical going in. Um, a lot of people told me that Deus Ex was really great and you could play it in all these different ways, but I I feel like I've heard that about a lot of games, that you know, you can, most of these games, it doesn't really work that well if you play it in a, in a different way. So there was that, and also the whole guy in a trench coat with sunglasses, you know, going around, cracking skulls, looked very generic to me. And having played it, those two concerns were actually were realized. It is basically just a stealth game, and the main character is totally bland. That being said, it's one of the best stealth games I've ever played. It gives you a lot more freedom than most games in the genre, particularly in terms of the level design. The levels are very open, and you can kind of go about them in, in a whole variety of different ways based on how you've leveled up and... And even then, you still have several different choices. Like, every level, there might be five or six ways to get from point A to point B. And based on what particular skills you've chosen, maybe you can move big objects, or maybe you can survive dropping down long falls. I know we're going to talk about it a little later in the show, so I'll try not to get too much into it now. But it's hard not to compare it to Arkham City, because they came out in such close proximity. And both involve a lot of stealth. And having played Arkham right after Deus Ex, it felt very rigid in comparison. You know, you'd have these big layers like the Penguin's Mansion. You can only go through the front door. And, you know, playing Deus Ex, if you go into one of the main levels, there's usually like three or four different entrances, which will affect where you start the level. And, you know, it still has the issues that all stealth games do, which is once you're caught, it kind of turns into a shitty action game. In this case, it's more of a mediocre action game. Like, you, you can shoot your way through it, but, you know, the AI is not that great. If you want to play a shooter, there's a whole myriad of better shooters out there. Some I, I don't know. If you don't like stealth games at all, I'm not totally sure that it'll hook you. But, you know, if you're into the genre, I remember I kind of joked that it was my favorite Metal Gear Solid. You know, I was being a little facetious in hindsight, 
Metal Gear Solid 3 is actually a little better, but it felt like a very different approach to that. You know, as I said, it's a much more open approach to stealth. It was just some most fun that I had with the game. I mean, I played through it, and I think I just spilled into four days, but I basically played it nonstop for three days, and I, I wanted to play it a second time as soon as I beat it. Well, let's go to Eddie first, because you also put it on your top five list, Eddie. Interesting. Listening to Jeff, I just found myself agreeing with a lot of stuff. When I first played Deus Ex, it was funny, though, because it was on the show floor at E3 or, or someplace like that. And I tried to play it like a shooter, because, you know, in those sort of shows, you don't really have time. And I just got killed, like, in seconds, and I couldn't really enjoy it. And I had been excited for the game, but... It didn't really shine until I finally got a chance to sit down quietly and play it as a stealth game, at which point the the openness that Jeff was talking about revealed itself and the ability to, to choose the direction I wanted to go. The game itself, the gameplay didn't feel like Metal Gear Solid, but maybe the... The atmosphere of the genre reminded me a lot of Metal Gear Solid and the fun that I used to have with those games. It also adds a lot of other things that I like, which we'll see later on in the show. I definitely enjoy Western RPG elements and skill trees and upgrades and augmentations and all that stuff. And it's got a great system of augmentations. You know, you could really design your character how you want to play, which is a lot of fun. And Two Human, you remember Two Human? That great game. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah, one of our favorite games of Big Red Potion. Well, Two Human. well, I love Two Human, and this deals with some of the same themes, like transhumanism and like the problems with that, and you know, you people with um, their overly ambitious technology, sort of causing more harm than good maybe and all that stuff so i felt like it was a very smart game as well as being well put together and a very complete gaming experience definitely something that i want to play multiple times in different ways you know what the guys have said i kind of go along with some of those points and and in fact um it was a game i was looking forward to i didn't i i did play the original deus ex but it wasn't a particularly memorable experience for me. I don't hold the same sort of torch to it that a lot of people do, but um, I was looking forward to it, and it kind of ticked all the boxes when, you know, when I read about what it was and what it was going to do. You know, it's kind of uh, dystopian sci-fi, and uh, you know, you have this kind of these RPG elements, kind of a little bit Bioshocky, a little bit Metal Gear Solid, you know, a little bit sort of Splinter Cell. And I thought, well, it sounds great, and I really. I really didn't enjoy it at all, actually. It's, I was going to put it down as one of my most disappointing games of the year. I think I don't think there's anything mechanic. Well, there are a few things mechanically wrong with it, but if you just assess it in terms of uh, the the gameplay and balance, it's it's you know it's well designed. But I could just never get past the the dreadful voice acting and the awful script. And it's it's I don't know probably a flaw in my character, but if I I can't watch shitty TV shows and I can't watch shitty films and I and I cannot play a game where I, where I just don't buy into the fiction at all, particularly a game like this where you know, really the I, I feel the compulsion to play it really is based around whether you buy into it or not 
and I just simply didn't buy into it. And I found the the lead character to be just wholly obnoxious. I just wanted to punch something every time he spoke. I, you know, I found <laughs> I found him quite vile. In fact, you know his his voice and his attitude. You know, just didn't it rubbed me up the wrong way. And for that reason, I I just gave up on it after a while until I just I just just gradually lost interest in it. it just 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 didn't hold me. And there were a couple of um, situations I found with the stealth where weird things happened, like you would be crouched about half a metre away from people and they wouldn't see you and you'd stand up and they'd suddenly see you and you crouch back down and then they couldn't see you anymore, even though there's nothing in between you. There's all kinds of weird AI issues that kind of ruined the the illusion of, of stealth for me. Um, but I can totally see why people did like it, but I think it is a bit of a, as we would say in the UK, a bit of a Marmite game. Mm. How about yourself, Joe? It just felt a little too generic in a lot of ways for me like the the sci-fi setting didn't really have anything distinct about it uh visually um a lot of the it was all gold (laughs) yeah it's just like all gold but it's like it looks like any back alley or any you know generic city street but just covered in gold which i thought was kind of dull and i i thought like like zan said that the voice acting was terrible i i didn't really yeah i liked the mechanics i liked the upgrading I, i thought that was a lot of fun and i i did like the way that every scenario kind of had multiple ways in but i felt in a lot of cases that those multiple ways didn't really amount to a whole lot like yeah you could hack this computer or yeah you could take this door but either way you know it's really not going to change a whole lot um and and also i didn't really think the combat or anything like that was that great i usually tried to avoid it as much as possible and um and i didn't think as a stealth game it was that fun to play so i don't know i i I did really enjoy the game i just think that in a lot of mechanical ways uh it didn't really live up to the potential that it should have yeah i can sort of understand some of the things you guys are saying especially with the character the main character and not and also not having things branch from you know your beginnings because in the converse, in the dialogue system, it seems like there's a lot of variance, but I feel like no difference comes of it, regardless of what uh, selections you, ch- excuse me, you choose. And I'd like to play through again with a different sort of character in mind and see how that pans out. But I get the feeling that it's not really very different. Uh, well, usually those, those moments where you have uh, some kind of tense dialogue situations and you get kind of a, a bonus, like there's that cop that if you talk to him the correct way, you can get clearance to the police station. Or, But yeah, it's not a, a huge part of the game. It doesn't change things like that drastically like Mass Effect. But I do agree, though, with Zan that the, the main story, I like the setting, and, but the overall story about, you know, Jensen and this conspiracy, I barely even remember that, to be perfectly frank. Like, it, it definitely had a lot of problems, but just the moment-for-moment action of infiltrating a place in my own way was just really, really addictive to me. There's a lot to touch on there. I'll just briefly touch on before we move on, uh, on some of the things that I was thinking about as you guys were talking. I think, Eddie, it was good that you compared it to Two Human in terms of the themes of, uh, of cybernetics <laughs> and advancement, because I think it made the same mistakes Two Human made with its story in terms of barely scratching the surface I really wanted it to challenge me in terms of my thoughts on whether we as humanity should go in that direction of cybernetics and altering the human body and it never, it was all these kind of pop <laughs> pop kind of questions that it answered, asked and never really went with it and I, I, I was disappointed by that, I thought Jeff everything you said mechanic, yeah I agree moment to moment it has that kind of I think atmosphere to it but uh, at the same time, I see where Zan's coming from. The voice acting is dreadful, and it does hurt the game. 
the it's a letdown because the worlds that you are in, for example, Detroit and, and Shanghai, just are so beautifully designed. I mean, I'd love to see the concept art for that game because it's it's gorgeous. But um, there are problems. I can I can, I can understand people putting it forward on the GOT wireless, but I can also understand people putting it on the other side of of the, of the spectrum. So uh, there we go. That's Deus Ex Human Revolution. second game is only on Zan's list, but many iPhone games will be throwing their shopping bags into the air with joyful glee to hear us make mention of Mega Mall Story. Zan, uh, it's an iOS game in a, in a GOTY discussion. What is this, 2011? <laughs> yeah, I'll put, it in, I'll put it in my list um, for a number of reasons, really. First, because, uh, I'll just explain the game to anyone who's not played it, it's basically a uh, it's a simulation game. Kerasoft, you make this, have made a number of them now. From um, probably most famously, they made um, Game Dev Story, but they've made, I think, maybe as many as eight now uh, of these type of games. Um, from covering things from football and Grand Prix racing to to this one, which which on the face it just sounds like yet another kind of Facebook esque uh, simulation funded by micropayments. When it's actually quite the opposite. It's a really in depth and an extremely st- strategic, almost puzzle game. Um, it kind of blends elements of... I mean, what you're basically doing is you're you're building a, a mall, as it sounds, and you're sort of organising shops into each floor, but you get various kind of bonuses and um, uh, from placing certain shops with each other, and you can get your shoppers to sort of go on mad sprees, and from that you can earn more money, and you can research more shops, and you can expand your mall. And it has like a definite end, so you're trying to reach a certain point. Quite interestingly, for an iOS game, it effectively has a new game plus mode where you can go through again with everything you've already researched and try to to better what you've done before. But it's not funded by microtransactions. It's a one-off payment. You get this this really quite complex and sophisticated strategy game, in effect. And I just found myself playing it above anything else that was out at the time. You know, I it took over my life for the best part of about three weeks. And um, I know I'm not the only one either. And I did the same for my wife and a few of my friends as well who who started playing it. It is just so compelling. Just such an interesting thing because it's a genre that I would say in recent years has been dying out, the kind of strategy simulation. You know, there's there's a fair few sort of indie titles that kind of fill, fulfill that brief that you can get on things like Steam, but they've largely been a, a dying breed. But Kerasoft have really kind of championed the genre and it just, I know they kind of hark back to the kind of halcyon days of the 16-bit era where there were just loads and loads of these kind of little um, strategy games, you know, from Populous um, through to what we have now. I just think it was fantastic and, and, and you know, a testament to really to how good Kerasoft are at producing these these games. Okay. Uh, I'll just briefly add my enforced design and then we'll move on because it's, <laughs> it's a two-way discussion of us lauding. It's only going to be so interesting. But, I, you know, it... It could have made my top five. I think it's in my top sort of fifteen twenty, but I, I very much enjoyed it. Uh, I think of all the dev games, it's the strongest, and I'm guessing that you agree, Zan. Although yes. I think one of them did come come two thousand and ten, didn't it? Um, yeah, most. I think yeah, two of them. I think the Spring Story one was last year, but this year there's been yeah Grand Prix Soccer this one, and there's been the two City ones recently as well. But yeah, I think it's the strongest because it, it's it's far more strategic than the others. The others tend to be 
tech trees. You know, you build this and it unlocks this, and you build that and you research this, and you, you know. Um, whereas Mega Mall Story, the actual game itself also has this kind of key puzzle element of actually putting things together and trying to get the optimum layout. The one aspect of it that I did enjoy the most was discovering the secret sort of pairings of yeah. stores and working out, you know, well, how how do I then use that within this giant, uh, you know, 15-floor store to best advantage and make the most money? And it's not a difficult game, but it is, a, a, I think, compelling. We, you know, we sometimes overuse that word, but it is compelling in the way that you want to find out, well, how can I make just a bit more money each month? And eventually, but, you know, you sort of get to the end of your 15 years, you're like, well, I... I want to have another go because I reckon I can make more money next time, and I I really enjoyed it because it just like you say it's there's a real addictive quality to it, and there it's not a huge amount of strategy, but it's enough for that kind of game, and there's a charm to it as well, and there's a a nice sort of interface. It's just a, a well worked, well designed game, and I'm I'm glad it's on this list. Yeah, I totally agree as as you would expect. <laughs> <laughs> And before we lord it any longer, I think we should move on to game three. But yes, that, before we do, actually, I will say that that's on iOS and uh, probably still incredibly cheap, isn't it? It's sixty nine p. I think I think it's on Android as well. But yeah, it's it's sixty nine p on iOS. You think with a game with that much depth, it would be you know you'd be paying an extra dollar for a pack of shops and stuff. But Kerasoft don't do that, which is you know again to be applauded. Absolutely, very commendable. So yes, uh, probably our cheapest game of the year mention ever. (laughs) Uh, So go buy it. Joe. Hi. You are Batman. I am, yes. You are Batman. Eddie is Mr. Freeze. Uh, I can't think of the others. Joe, tell us why. uh, (laughs) Tell us why Arkham City is your second favorite game of the year. All right. So um, the thing that that Arkham City did for me that I kind of no other game did, I I think, is that it just kind of. It's very hard to put you into the shoes of a superhero, especially when every superhero kind of has all these weird, wacky, crazy powers, like the one thing that I've always kind of wanted out of a Spider-Man game was to give you, like, complete control over the way you swing through the city and kind of just, you know, do what you want to do. Uh, the, the games that have come out haven't really done that. And I feel like Batman Arkham City kind of does that in a way. Like, the the systems in that game, like the, the swinging around the city and the, the various uh, random crimes you could stop around Arkham City, they're kind of janky in a lot of ways. But I think that's kind of okay because... He's just some dude in a suit who made these toys that he plays with. And I kind of feel as if, like, you know, putting up with the weird swinging, putting up with the weird uh, random encounters and and finding all these weird uh, side quests around this giant open world that they built in this game made me like it all the more. Um, As a sequel to Arkham Asylum, it's it's a more expansive game. I don't necessarily think that opening it up was the best way to go because I kind of like the, the, the very filled-in structure that Arkham Asylum had, but by opening it up, they kind of invented this different type of superhero game, this kind of weird, very, very linear, yet also kind of expansive open-world thing that 
really more than any other game like it has made me feel more like Batman than I ever have. And I, I really enjoyed the most of the writing. I think it was fairly strong. I think the first game was, was a bit stronger, but uh, the voice acting was terrific. And I think that the last hour of this game was handled very well. Um, that's all I will really say about that. But yeah, I think as, as far as a sequel to Arkham Asylum, they couldn't just invent another jail to sit you in. Um, by going this route, I think they've created something that's different and something that's, uh, in my opinion, equally to even more exciting than the first game. And I really enjoyed all of my time with it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to going back into it again to find all the crazy amount of, of hidden stuff and little Easter eggs that they've hidden around the city. Okay, I think more of us have played Arkham City than we have Mega Mall Story. Uh, <laughs> I suspect we've all dabbled. I know, Eddie, you haven't, actually. Uh, I played a tiny bit of it on, I don't know, some at some show. Combat's okay, so, great. So you're not <laughs> Batman. I, I I will be Batman soon. Okay, but not yet. Jeffrey, have you been Batman? Uh, yeah, yeah, I was Batman twice. I, for some reason, I beat the game two times, even though I was disappointed in it. But the second time, I just blazed through the main story, so I just did that in a day once. Yeah, I, I liked it, but it... To me, it was a pretty big step back from the first one. I At first, I really liked the open world. The whole gliding and looking around the city and you know zipping around is very empowering initially. But my issue with it is they had to make a lot of sacrifices in changing to this format. Notably, the, the interior levels were far fewer and less expansive. There's only about three or so really big like, levels in the game. Most of the interiors are just these, like, one-room places, like the church or the the police station. And and that was something I really missed about the first one. You had all these really different buildings that had a unique purpose, like the Arboretum or... or max, yeah, max security and, yeah, you know, yeah, intensive, like intensive care. Yeah, and, like, every, every level felt very distinct... And I felt like in this, you go back to the same areas a lot because there aren't that many of them. And, like, you see the, the whole open area. It's actually a very, very small open world. You can blaze from one end to the other in, like, two minutes. And so by the second half of the game, you're very familiar with that, and you're just kind of retreading the same territory, like, over and over. And so that bothered me. And also just the whole... Uh, the story's a lot messier that. The first game had this very tasteful lack of villains. There were hints to all of them, but you only actually encountered just a small handful that were relevant to the plot. And this just felt like they had to throw everyone in. It's it's a very gamey game, for lack of a better term. And I, I can understand people liking it. Like I think mechanically it's a little bit a little bit more refined, you know, especially the the brawling. But the overall impact just felt a little watered down and unfocused to me. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And um, in fact, um, I had a Twitter conversation with Sinan a few days ago, and Sinan used the the best word I've heard to describe it, really, which is contrived. The feeling I got from, I mean, I, again, I was, I was pretty disappointed with it. And I think probably more so because I didn't play Arkham Asylum until this year. So I, I played Arkham Asylum, I think, in February or March of this year. Uh, I kind of came to this fairly fresh after playing that. And it just felt, They'd taken all the bits I liked away and just 
maximised on the bits that I didn't really like in Arkham Asylum, and I really, really liked Arkham Asylum when I finally got around to playing it. And um, the sense, the best way I can describe the sensation I, I have when I, when I played it was that it felt like I was a caged animal in a zoo being asked to perform tricks. So it was like I, it was like you created this world in which Batman can go and do his thing, so that and so that everyone else can watch him doing it. You know, because the the city is just it just seems to be there as a as a as a toy box, so that wherever you go, you're having to fight people, or you're having to do this or do that, and it it just made no thematic sense whatsoever um, to have all the supervillains put into a city full of inmates. You know, it just felt like taking what they did last time and just making it bigger, which which you know thematically doesn't work. So then, when you start to try to structure a, a story around it, that kind of falls apart because it makes no sense whatsoever. And and the city itself, then, like I said, just feels like this 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 you know this this toy box or this this circus act where Batman is just on display, just doing his thing. And I I I yeah I thought it was I think it was a, mis- it was a mistake to to do it. But again, it's getting like crazy review scores and people seem to love it. So there's obviously something in it that. That people are enjoying that I'm not, but um, I, I I would welcome going back to something much more intimate and something much more claustrophobic as uh, the actual Arkham Asylum itself. And and I felt that Arkham Asylum, the Arkham Asylum itself, had character, whereas the city to me has no character at all. Well, if I, if I could step in in Joe's place and defend it a little bit before then stepping in Zan and Jeffrey's place and taking it down a bit, um, I think. Some of the, the major improvement for me in Arkham City is the combat, and uh, I think it has more challenge. There's more uh, a greater sense of rhythm to it, uh, and I feel like I I didn't get bored of it by the end of the game, whereas I did get bored of it by the end of Arkham Asylum. And I think that's that was an, I think an important thing because I remember when we talked about Arkham Asylum during that big show, the one thing I I was nitpicking at it was the combat that it's just okay the one touch works but it's just nothing more really to it with what Zan's saying I certainly agree obviously about the contrivedness uh, I think why for me it hurt my appreciation of it was because I, I wasn't that invested in the story of Arkham Island, but I was invested in the place I enjoyed the atmosphere, the, just the idea of being locked in this asylum with all these supervillains, and it's it's stupid, but it's in, you know it's stupid in the comic book sense. But in the actual game, it's intense. It's intense in the way that you know Batman is so good at being as a as a series, as a franchise, as a property. With Arkham City, I just never felt that atmosphere. Uh, I got annoyed with constantly hearing radio chatter uh, instead of the, the silence of Arkham Asylum. In some ways, was was fantastic, and just these little riffs of music and look, finding all these clues around the environment and there was none of that in Arkham City and I feel like for me Arkham City is Arkham Asylum without the spark and I think that spark is crucial to enjoyment of the game it's a good game but it's, it wasn't even in contention for my top 5 list I mean you guys are making valid points I'm not defending it in that necessarily way it's just more of a I think my opinion is a bit biased because I am in fact a huge Batman fan which I'm not necessarily sure that any of you guys are um, oh, I, I, I am, but that's okay. why I, I found it thematically weird, you know, because it just didn't make sense um, in, in 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 the world they created. It just sure. uh, if they'd have made it, what I really want is is a normal Gotham City where you can go around where the villains would be there trying to do villainous things. But 
to do villainous things inside what is ostensibly a, a giant prison just makes no sense. Yeah, I wonder if it would if they'd gone for something a bit like Spider Man Two or even you know Crackdownish where you are just being called to random of things going around the city and there's no there's no need really for the contrived premise. Maybe there's um, no real story therefore to drive it along because that's the problem you have with Crackdown. There's no real well you'd have you'd have no one to fight. That would be the problem. So. The reason they create it in, a, in this giant prison and fill it with in, the city with inmates is so that wherever you go, you're always going to be you're always going to be then indulging in the combat because the combat is the strength of the game. If they did it in a big open world like Crackdown, um, you'd you know you'd only have patches where you'd actually have combat. But you could have it like there's some you know rioting is a big theme in the news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know you could have something where the city is basically in revolt and it's up to Batman to try and control it as one man, mm-hmm. which I think would you know could. It's, it's it's no more contrived than what's going on in Arkham City, so I, I don't know. You mentioned Crackdown, and I, I love Crackdown a lot because of its lack of structure. And I think that both, you know, that and Arkham Asylum, uh, both those approaches work. And this seemed to be this ungraceful marriage between the two. Like I would do a main story mission, and I'd be pretty into the plot at least, you know, for a while, and it would end with you know, them saying, you know, go see this villain. And I'd be like, yeah, that sounds great. I love that villain. I, I can't wait to do that. But on my way there, I get sidetracked by, you know, three other side quests and a bunch of Riddler trophies. And an hour and a half later, when I finally start doing the next story mission, I kind of forget what's even happening. And it just, like, it, it didn't flow very well between this open world playground and this more tight, you know, story where Batman needs to save the day. game and in the second year of, of the tradition I'm going to nominate a game which came out in 2010 for the US but came out over here this year and uh, following in Demon's Souls footsteps then is Kirby's epic yarn. It struck me as a game that was made by people who uh, loved making it and definitely those kind of games are the kinds of, the, of games that, that win me over and I'm also, I also realised this year that I'm a moments gamer. I'm a, a gamer who really uh, it's won over by moments in games, uh, little one-off things which occur, and Kirby's Epic Yarn was full of them. And just these little sort of moments of discovery when uh, you know you, Kirby transforms into a plane or into a boat, or or you find a level with the piano and it blends in with the music, and just discovering all the different powers you could use and uh, all the different walls. The game is so meticulous in that it also has its own narrator for each region. So you have an Australian narrator for the Australian region, you have an American narrator for the American region, and you have a European narrator for the European region. And the European narrator, the English narrator, he was the personification of all these old cartoons, uh, you know, Rhubarb and Custard and Postman Pat, and he just had that, that kind of uh, calming, lovely voice that uh, just took me back to my younger years and made me sort of regress, and that's the perfect game to regress to. Uh, and just, it's such a happy, wonderful, charming little game, and I it's so hard to find a criticism against it. I mean, some people would say that maybe it's just it's too easy and it doesn't challenge. But not every game is made for us, you know. And I, and you have to kind of approach it like that and go, you know, well, it's not meant to be a a Charles HD or or a Demon Souls. It's it's Kirby Kirby's Epic Yarn, and it's it, for me, it's the perfect like my first game. 
if you wanted to introduce a kid to to gaming, I would say Kirby's Epic Yarn all the way, because it, it just it's it's easy to learn, it's charming, it's beautiful, it's funny, uh, and I, I I find it very hard to find a bad word against it. I totally agree with you a thousand percent. I adore that game, and actually last year at uh, GamerNode for our awards, I voted that over Super Mario Galaxy 2 in both our plat- Best Platform and Best Wii Game Award. I just think it's it's an incredible game, just for all the reasons you said. Yep, I would totally agree as well. <clears throat> I thought it was a... I mean, I'm not a 2D platformer fan, kind of sick of them in the 80s, but I, I just absolutely loved it. I thought it was just so charming and um, and I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that games don't have to be difficult to be enjoyable. You know, it's difficulty is a, is a tool you use like any other bit, any other thing you use in game design, and uh, and uh, that shouldn't really be held against it. Um, I do dispute your um, uh, your assertion that this is the game to introduce children to, though, because uh, my daughter couldn't play it at all, but she can play Joe Danger. So work that one out. Yeah, I, this does come with a proviso that I don't have kids in Xander's. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense, I know, but it's just, it's just weird. It's one of those things I discovered. I thought <laughs> of it as like the perfect kids game too, so I guess we're wrong, Sinan. Yeah, they can't. kids can't handle diagonal jumping. I think they get it later, but certainly at her age, which is two and a half, she just can't do it. But she can work out the three paint, uh, axes, or, uh, sorry, planes on Joe Danger, which um, I just don't understand why. So there you go. So start off with difficult games is the uh, obvious answer. Yes. And then move, so my, maybe my second game. After Joe Danger. Yeah, that would be it. <laughs> Fair enough. Joe and, Joe and Jeff, do you want to weigh in at all? Thoroughly pleasant, I think, is the thing that I could say about that game. It's 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 not a game that I really want to stick through to the end, but I it was a game that I thoroughly enjoyed every minute I played of it. I think the other thing I should mention as well is that it is a co-op game, and playing it co-op was a lot of a lot of fun. Um, and the, the conspicuous game that's missing off all this, and I, I wonder if I'll be doing this again next year, is Rayman Origins. Which is also a, a co-op platformer, which maybe is not for the same uh, age of child, possibly a bit older. Although oh, I, I'm not sure, we've already agreed that I don't really know anything about kids. Um, but it just strikes me that that could have made our list. I think one of us might have been uh, fallen in love with it just as something about that game. But I'll, I'm sorry, have <clears throat> uh, you, you played it, Zan? Yeah, I've played. I've, I've, I don't own it, but I've played quite a lot of it. I played a lot. Of, I played it twice actually at Eurogamer. I played it the first day, and then the second day I went back and I played it for about an hour. I sort of hogged it. It's um, it, it's really good. I mean, again, I'm not a fan of that genre, so it's, it says a lot that I really liked it, and I'm. It's one of the games I'm hoping to pick up early next year. Yeah, I'm nev- I've literally played four levels of it, and I really enjoyed those four levels. But there's a lot to go in that game. I know. I know a few people have said it maybe goes on a bit too long, but um, maybe. Next year, we'll be, I'll be doing the same thing in the in the awards section that I did last time. Anyway, uh, Kirby's Epic Yarn, you can get it for Wii, and I place it as my fifth favourite game of the year. Sully, this is fake. I assure you, Mr. Drake. Oh, oh, you are right. This is phony as a $3 bill. What the hell are you trying to pull here? Perhaps I should be asking you. This is bullshit. Deal's off, pal. And you? You can tell your client. You blew it. Come on, Nate, let's get the hell out of here. 
You're not really in a position to negotiate. Now give me the ring, take the case, and walk out of here like gentlemen. While you still can. Do as the man says, son. You're a thief. Well now, that's ironic. In 2009, in our first uh, annual Big Red Game of the Year show, we nominated a small game called Uncharted 2 as our favourite of 2009. I remember all five of us here, including it's on our top five lists. This year, the sequel to that game, Uncharted 3, makes three of our lists. It's placed fourth for Zan and for Joe, and third for Mr. Eddie and Zato. So, uh, Eddie, can you swashbuckle, climb, and uh, generally uh, interactive cutscene your way to telling us why Uncharted 3 deserves mention this year? I can certainly interactive cutscene my way to it. I feel like everybody knows what the Uncharted series is about. It's about like big action and like in-your-face cinematics all rolled into a narrative that you love because you've got this cool cast of characters and everything like that. And Uncharted 3 is the same thing. You know, it's a roller coaster to be cliche. It's, it's just a, it's, you know, it's like a summer action movie. It's, it's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. But uh, this time, what I really feel like they've done more of that just, for me anyway, sucks me right in, is they, they're doing more and more with the camera itself. Um, that's like the big thing. There's, there's more disturbance of these camera angles while you're still playing that same action game. You know, you're maintaining what you're doing, but they're just, we're looking at it in a different way. It's about di- really good direction, I, I suppose, um, cinematography. Like even right off the bat, you start the game and you, you're in this barroom brawl and you, you're basically meandering from room to room fighting and it feels like a movie which is also cliche, but I guess that's what Uncharted is. It's a cliche, awesome action movie. And I don't know, I, there's, there's really not a whole lot more to say about it. Everyone and their mother's played it. Well, everyone and their mother has a PS3. Yes. Have you played it? I have played it. <laughs> okay. My mother has not. <laughs> uh, but I know, I know Joe and Zan uh, have played it, and Joe, uh, like Zan, you put it as your fourth favorite game of the year. Why so? Yeah, I mean, I was kind of over the world with Uncharted 2, but with Uncharted 3, I think it didn't do as much to drive the series forward as the second one did. Like, everything was so great with it. And I think, you know, as far as this type of action goes, there really is nothing even close to it. But and I think the story this time wasn't as interesting. I love the fact that it was a Sully story, a Sully-focused story, but I didn't think as much was on the line this time. So it, it, it kind of, there wasn't as much personal uh, interest in what was going on. And also, I, I think just it's, you know, the second one was such a huge step forward that having this kind of half step here while a lot of Naughty Dog people working on that new game, The Last of Us, you know, I think that it kind of showed. Um, it's still a very enjoyable game. It's still a great game. It's still something that is well worth experiencing. But I, I kind of, it's not the step forward from two that I thought it was going to be and that I hoped it would be. And as a result, it didn't really throw me as much as the second one did. Um, I, I agree with um, much of, of what you said, really, in that I, I didn't feel it sort of in Uncharted 2, uh, and it, it lacked the the really snappy dialogue that was between the, the three main yeah. characters of, of Uncharted 2, but um, you, you can't help but just go along for the ride. You know, it, it kind of sucks you in, and, and 
and you know, I can honestly say that I, I pretty much enjoyed every second I played of it. I thought they improved a lot of things. I thought they, they finally nailed the third act, um, which was a flaw in the, in the pre- previous two games. But um, I also felt that it still suffered from the, the, the same sort of difficulty spikes and, and sort of uh, weird combat anomalies that, that the others have as well. It seems to be like a naughty dog trait. But um, yeah, I just you know, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I think in any other year, it wouldn't have made my top probably wouldn't have made my top five and maybe not wouldn't have made my top ten, but I think this year being being fairly mediocre means that it, it does scrape in there. One thing I find amazing about Uncharted games is how Nathan Drake can climb all over everything perfectly and then just walking around he like trips over his own feet and stumbles backwards just randomly. Does that bother you? Anyway. I find that that's actually charming, and that's why I like him as a character because it's the whole Indiana Jones thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the whole I'm actually almost a superhero, but when it comes down to it, when it comes to everyday life, I'm a bit of a bumbling buffoon, and I like that about about Drake. I think that's that's an endearing thing. It's ridiculous, but are we not uh, embracing the ridiculousness in this uh, game anyway? I, I mean, just mean from the moment to moment controls of the game. I no no I, I I still think that's charming. I still oh. think, yeah I I, I like what I, what I found with Uncharted Three and I I got inklings of it with Uncharted Two. I got it more with Uncharted Three. I'm just getting sick of every little like thing he tries to do and something breaks under him. Like it's it's getting a bit silly. In Uncharted Two is like yeah I think they were pushing it. In Uncharted Three is like every single jump. Oh, I'm nearly falling off. Oh, every little jump, I've crashed through the floorboard. And by the end of it, you're just laughing at him. <laughs> God, you're literally the most unlucky man in the entire world. Um, on a more serious note, I think I think you guys are right about the com- the, the kind of conversations and and that side and that kind of uh, rapport between the three characters of Uncharted Two. I I think another thing as well. I just I, like I was saying with Kirby, I'm a I'm a moment gamer, and I don't think the big moments in Uncharted 3 were as exciting or as defining as the big moments were in Uncharted 2. You know, or they felt recycled in some respects. And I think as well Uncharted 2 had a tighter story. Not that the story's hugely important with Uncharted. I mean, I, I like the characters. I don't, I don't think any of the stories are particularly great, but I think um, Uncharted 3 story was just starting to meander towards mediocre. One one thing I'd just like to quickly add is that the, I thought they handled the origin story really well. I thought that was, you know, because we quite often in a third game they tend to give an origin story to the characters that have been in the last two, and some are better than others. You know, um, the the cold training Gears of War three um, bit springs to mind, but um, I th- I just thought that the the way they the, the way they set it up and the way they kind of then blended it into the the, the plot of the or the the thread of plot between the three games was actually pretty good. That's uh, they should be given a slap, a pat on the back for that. Yeah, I, I actually, in some yes, I think I agree. I just I think the the more overarching plot involving getting this ring and yes. all that that was a bit tepid for me. Um, but I still include it in my top fifteen or twenty of this year. But I agree with what you were saying, Zan. I think this year has been a bit under. I think we've been spoiled a little bit by gaming. Yeah. I think we've had three really good years, and this year just hasn't been as up to scratch. There are lots of decent games. I don't know if there are that many standouts and compared to previous years. I think there's been yeah. I would say the quality's been up there. It's been probably a little bit of variety and 
a little bit of fatigue because there's been so many that are just iterations of what we've had before. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. In trying to find my top five, I was just super disappointed that I couldn't find you know a, an original game, something different. It was it was you know whatever my top five are, they're repeats of the same gameplay that we've seen in most cases. Yeah, it felt like this year I had you know four or so like great games, and then after that it would have been like a you know a fifteen way tie. After that, mm-hmm. all these games I thought were really good, but just not quite great. They just weren't quite memorable, but were still really polished and a lot of fun. Well, if you think about it, this would have been the year that we would have gotten new consoles had the cycle been a normal cycle, so things are kind of running out of steam and we're kind of grasping at straws to find out which sequel we like the best while we wait for the new stuff to come out. Couldn't have said it better myself. So that is Uncharted 3. Let's move on. Tell us why Shadows of the Damned is your fourth favorite game of 2011. Just a, a quick side note: we were talking about sequels. I'm looking at the all the games we're discussing, and this and Mega Mall Story are the only original IPs. And Mega Mall Story is tenuously is, is it kind of tenuously related to the other story series? Well, it's not an original IP because it's part of the it's part okay, of the series. Okay, so. Shadows of the Dam is the only original IP on our list. Which uh, I will hasten to add that when we do get to naming our top fives, there are, I think, a couple of new IPs in there. That is true. Okay, so anyway, Shadows of the Dam, um, but it's a, a third-person action game where you're this demon hunter named Garcia fucking Hotspur, that's his actual name, who goes to hell to rescue his, you know, his girlfriend who was kidnapped by the Lord of Demons. It's very silly, but it... Okay, I should back up for a second. This is a Suda 51 game. So for people who don't know who he is, he made Killer 7 and um, probably more well-known now from No More Heroes. So he's kind of known for these very strange, quirky characters. And Garcia is no exception. And one of the things that I really like about this guy is that he he looks really cool. He has like this great designer leather jacket, and he's really badass, and he's very romanticized. But he's kind of an idiot, and the game's very aware of it. And it's a type of character that I very rarely see. Like, we usually see characters who are just straight-up heroes or they're anti-heroes. Like, you know, like lovable criminals or something. And Garcia's neither. He's, like, a guy who so... he th- He's very conceited. He thinks he's really awesome, but... He isn't, like, he just kind of, like, snickers at really stupid stuff, and he has this sidekick that's a floating skull, and they just crack dick jokes back and forth, but they're not really clever dick jokes like Bulletstorm, but they're, they're like, knowingly stupid. So, so there's that, and also just, I really love the, the style of the game. Aesthetically, I think it's just gorgeous. It, um, I love the soundtrack by Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hill fame. Like, it, it just has this mood it's I, I can't really think of another game like it in terms of atmosphere it's it's very i mean it's kind of punk but it's also this like medieval spanish carnival it, it has a very it, it's kind of like a very festive crazy resident evil 4 and and it's just a really good 
like I found it to be a really good action game too. And I know we're gonna at some point in the show talk about Dead Space Two, which is mechanically a very similar game. And I'm I'm wondering why some people on the, on the show really like that game and found Shadows underwhelming. So, so Joe, you'd mentioned it as the most disappointing game of the year for you. You are going to be talking about Dead Space 2 yeah. in a bit. And I would agree with Jeff. They both use, I guess we would say, survival horror, Resident Evil type shooting controls. Uh, obviously with Mikami involved in, uh, in Shadows of the Damned. Why is it then so disappointing for, it, for you? I mean, first off, I, I, the humor didn't really work for me. So maybe that was a, a big negative right off the bat. I, I, I recognized it and I see it, but I, I didn't really like the characters, uh, especially Garcia. I didn't really think there was anything to him, and I didn't really think most of the humor was enjoyable. Uh, and I and don't, don't get me wrong, I could appreciate a good dick joke, but um, I don't know, it I didn't really fly with me in this one. I thought Boltstorm uh, handled it a little bit better, and I thought it was way more entertaining in that regard. Um, I don't know. I thought the the level design was poor. I thought that you know, even though some of the weapons were very creative, I thought that the environments they threw at you to use them in was just the same thing over and over. Uh, the demons I didn't think were fun to fight. The uh, gameplay loop of finding the light source, killing it, and moving on to the next one, or being chased by your crazy girlfriend thing over and over. I didn't think any of that was really enjoyable. Didn't think the boss fights were that great didn't think the dialogue was that great. I, I, you know, I, I, the music from Akira Yamaoka was great, fantastic, four stars on that, but I think everything else about that game, I don't think it was bad, I just I, I thought it was very average. I, considering the creative talent that went into that game, I expected a far better game out of it. Yeah, I kind of agree with most of what Joe said. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, since Killer7, I've been looking for the Suda51 game that is amazing to me, like Killer7 was. But since I've only gotten a bunch of really immature and just dumb stuff, um, this, I think, I, I think that Shadows of the Damned is a, a good game, just mechanically. It feels good to play. Like I, I like the shooting mechanics and everything. And I love the world, like Jeff said. You know, uh, it's just, it's very different. The environment's very different. And some of the craziness of the doors, like the elements of the world that you have to interact with, they're cool. But the the dialogue, all everything they say is just so fucking annoying, honestly. And they they use way too much uh, bad language for no reason. Like, I mean, that's sort of I sound like I'm like a goody two shoes or something, but it just doesn't work. It's like over the top and annoying and immature. So I just I just had a problem with that. Otherwise, you know, it's solid in terms of moment to moment, but very. Very torn about this because you know I love Mikami. I love. I thought I loved Suda Fifty One, although I've yet to love anything other than Killer Seven. Yeah, it's funny that I always thought of you as a Suda Fifty One fan, but I know that you don't like No More Heroes, No More Heroes Two, um, and Shadows of the Dam. So, um. well, because <laughs> Killer Killer Seven was like psychotic, and these other two are just immature. I didn't dislike Shadows of the Damned. I think I would say I just about liked it. I like. I think I no. That's probably harsh. No, I liked it. I can't see it being on a game of the year list. I just don't see what you're seeing in the character, Jeff. I didn't get put off by the immaturity of it, but I just I couldn't see that the extra layer of some of a character who was con- you know unknowingly conceited and thought he was awesome, but is in fact not awesome. Uh, 
and that there was this weirdness of the skull going around with him. Like, I, I, I didn't think that was a particularly weird thing in the world of Shadows of the Damned. But the immaturity side, which you're talking about, Eddie, didn't bother me. And I'm normally put off by immature games, but I think, um, I think you guys are being a bit harsh on it compared to Bulletstorm's apparently clever dick jokes, which I didn't think were that clever. I thought, they, I thought, the, I thought both games achieved a self-deprecation. I wasn't really interested in Bulletstorm either, if that says anything. No, but I know, Joe, you were. Yeah, I, I, I thought that it fit a little bit more in Bulletstorm, and I thought, I mean, it was overwritten in Bulletstorm, overwritten to be kind of off-the-wall crazy, but I felt like they justified it a little bit more in their world than they did in Shadows of the Dam, where it kind of just seemed crass in many cases. Probably like Bulletstorm script a little bit better, but I think that they had very different approaches what I love about Bulletstorm is, like, you actually really care about those characters by the end of the game, and it, it sort of disarms you. It's, it's very funny, but the characters actually do feel quite, you know, somewhat real by the end. They actually have some real pathos to them. This kind of reminded me more of, like, an Eli Roth film, like Hostel, where you're not supposed to take it at face value. Like, I wouldn't say there's depth to Garcia. And here, let me put it this way. I feel like... I'm, I'm a little bit tired of games where you're this, you know, badass, you know, male hero trying to save his helpless girlfriend. And on the surface, that's what this is. But the game seems like aware of it, that this is this juvenile fantasy. And as a result, like, you know, that's why it's constantly kind of making fun of Garcia. It reminds me a lot of uh, Travis from No More Heroes, who was also this, you know, very adolescent wannabe romantic hero who who was just like totally delusional and psychotic I think Shadows of the, Shadows of the Dam suffers a, a sliver of the same problem that No More Heroes has in that it is trying to make it clearly is, it is trying to make commentary I definitely agree with you, it is trying to make commentary on that kind of game the, the game where you are this ridiculous hero who's going to save the girl and save the day what I think it does that No More Heroes does as well is it almost plays it too close to that and uh, then and also therefore makes the same mistakes and in making the same mistakes almost becomes indistinguishable. I don't think it's nearly as bad as No More Heroes I th- but I do think it does it a bit and I think Bulletstorm absolutely nails that. I think Bulletstorm, you just know I got really I'm not annoyed but I just think people were very quick to say, well, this is made by Epic and they don't, they're don't they not clever enough to make a game that's self-deprecating. I think they knew exactly what they were doing with Bulletstorm. I think maybe it was People Can Fly, actually, in fairness, that added that extra element. But I, I've, Bulletstorm strikes me as knowing it, it's stupid, whereas um, Shadows of the Damned, I'm not sure, knows it's stupid. I don't know, maybe I'm placing too much emphasis on, on the creator, but like I, I, I think that they know. Like It, it seemed like it, because you know, clearly they do make fun of, of Garcia for not bringing the bite, not being the brightest bulb. Like, the part where he's reading the storybook and he, like, you know, kind of keeps snickering at all the sexual innuendos. When I say it knows, it knows it's stupid, I don't mean the creator necessarily. I, I feel like when, if you were just coming at it at face value and looking at this game, if you didn't know about Suda51 behind it, mm. I, I'm not sure you'd be 100% certain. Whereas I feel like with Bulletstorm, you'd get, you'd get it. Yeah, and I, I know what you mean, and that's something that I find really interesting, actually, because I feel like if I had played this game when I was, like, 15, I would have thought that Garcia was just awesome, because he looks awesome, like, he's charismatic, and, you know, I love the design, and then it's, it's kind of strange, like, my relationship to him, I felt like I kind of had, 
you know, platonic, like, guy crush on him, and then you realize that he's just kind of a jerk, and then you you lose that, but he's still fascinating. Like, I don't know. I, I thought it, it was uh, the illusion of, of him and what he actually is, and I don't really have such a complicated reaction to most characters. I think that's a good point to say that, you know, maybe I would have liked this years and years ago. I would have liked these characters and their, their banter between one another. Does that mean I'm getting old? Yeah, but it's different than that, though. Because <laughs> I guess I feel like Devil May Cry is, you know, I would have loved that when I was younger, and now I don't. But I feel like this seems this seems more self-aware than that. I never loved Devil May Cry either. In a sad case. <laughs> on that tragic note, I think we should move on to our seventh <laughs> Sorry, game. Man. It's okay. It's okay. So we're on to our seventh game, and this is one of our Game of the Years. This is Eddie's Game of the Year. But I'm going to turn to Zan to explain to us why Elder Scrolls V, Skyrim, a small game that came out a couple of months ago, is a possible contender, I'm I'm going to say. I'm going to put it out there as a possible contender for the Big Red Game of the Year. Zan, please do tell. Well, first of all, um, so much has been written and said about this game already, don't really need to go into too much detail on it because it was almost impossible to escape over the last couple of months and uh, I'd also add a lot of what's been written was rubbish as well but um, <laughs> in it, it, if this had been if it wasn't for the festering boil that sits on the arse of this game um, this would have been by far the greatest game of this year I mean it, it, it is an astonishing uh, I won't use the word technical achievement but it, it's it's got astonishing depth and scope and ambition far beyond anything that anyone else has attempted I think in the last 12 months Um, and it's one of those games that the more you put into it the more you get out of it so I really feel that uh, if you if you're invested in the in your character and you're actually role-playing it the world of the world of Skyrim, just like the world of Oblivion and Fallout as well, to to a slightly lesser extent, is there for you to just do whatever you want to 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 play out your character and your life as you wish. It's it's almost MMO like in 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 that respect. Um, however, I I cannot, in all honesty, give it and um, put it at the top of my list simply because the you know uh, I bought two copies of the game, a PS3 version and a 360 version, and the PS3 version is so broken. I mean, irresponsibly broken uh, it, to the point that it should never have been released. It is uh, a diabolical and dastardly thing that Bethesda have done, and they should be punished by people not buying their products ever again because it is just scandalous, the the technical issues that, that dogs the PS3 version. I mean, I, I had to stop playing it after about 70 hours because uh, it's unplayable. It, it was running at three frames per second. You know, you just cannot do anything. And um, you should not release a game to the public in that way. And their attitude is, well, you know, you've got 70 hours play out of it, so you've had your money's worth. Well, that's just disgusting. Um, and they have previous. And they've done it before. Yeah, this isn't the first time they've done it. And uh, to be honest, I've had technical issues with all of their games, you know, and uh, my wife lost her entire Oblivion save. And, and you, know, there's, you know, and you kind of live with it because their ambition is so big. I mean, they, they really do... Try to put a moon on a stick, but they, in, uh, you know, and, and with Skyrim, they've come so close, so close. If only 
they had not made such a, a royal PR uh, and technical cock-up of the PS3 version, it would be miles ahead of anything else that's released in the last 12 months. It's an astonishing game, bar that. I mean, it says something after that little tirade, if you don't mind me calling it that, um, that you just gave, that you're still putting it forward as your second favourite game of the year. Yes, because, I mean, <laughs> exactly. And, and, and I said, I'm kind of torn because I, I have a 360 copy, which my wife has played, and she's had no issues at all with it. So no, um, I've had no issues with mine. Um, so I know how wonderful and, and, and fulfilling and enjoyable the game is, but uh, on the other hand... Uh, it's it kicked me in the balls, so you know it can't be number one, I'm afraid. Um, but it was your number one, Eddie. Yeah, and I mean for for all the reasons that Zan said, it is an amazing technical achievement. It, it, it yeah, I don't know why you were shying away from ambitious. that word. I think it is a, it is a technical achievement. It really is. Yeah, and and I mean it's super ambitious. It's gigantic, and I mean it's it's kind of just the game that I want to play. Uh, it's as simple as that. You know, I, when we did my first my first show with Big Red Potion, I wanted to put forth Oblivion as my representation of video gaming because it's it's just the game that I want to play, and I mean it's as simple as that for putting it for me. It's just kind of I don't know if that's a cop out, but it's an excellent game. I don't think it is because I really even someone who I like Skyrim and I dis I dislike Oblivion. I see it as Oblivion too, mm-hmm. um, but it, it fixes a lot of the things I didn't like. Oh, absolutely. Um, Jeff, Jeff, have you played it? I actually, I, I have to give the caveat. I didn't play it a whole lot. I only played it for about four hours, and I just found it shockingly boring. And I kept meaning to go back to it and you know get a little further on, but I, I, I was just never in the mood to. I couldn't really find anything that enjoyable. It looks great, but um, you know the combat's really dull, especially coming after Dark Souls. Um, I found the dialogue really stiff and the lore very dense and dry and um, maybe I'm just tired of that fantasy genre, but I don't know. Like I liked I liked Fallout 3 a lot and I actually tried to play New Vegas um, after uh, Skyrim wasn't doing it for me and I couldn't really get into that either, so it might just be that the genre... Um, Bethesda's approach just doesn't thrill me anymore. But I, I feel like, you know, Fallout 3, even in this tutorial, I was interested in what was happening. Like, it immediately put me in a situation where, where I cared about what was going on. This just, like, throws you in a world and you have to choose some side right away. I, I think you can deviate from that later. But, you know, two prisoners are like, hey, come with me. And there's this big war going on and you have no idea what's happening. And there's no real... There's no good introduction to that game, so it just felt very meandering and dull. I think the big thing I'm going to ride the back on, because like Zan says, everyone has talked about it to death, there are two big bugbears for me with Skyrim, and I still like it, and this is it's still being my top 15, top 20, but my two big bugbears, Jeff was right, the combat is not good. The fact that melee is no more than a, a basic attack and a shield attack, when you've got the third-person view that works finally... That's disappointing. That's very disappointing. And I feel like you, you've got the... I don't know why they're afraid of embracing something more Fable-like or more Amala, which is coming next year, with the, the spells. And But it's just so limited. Um, and I I guess you could argue that you can customise your approach, blah, blah, blah. But this is a game you play for so long, and there should be 
a bit more depth, I feel, there. Um, and my second big bugbear is, I think, the skills system and the way of leveling up is, I think, broken. And I think it's the big pink elephant in the room that no one really talks about because it's all, well, you're not playing it right. Well, mm. fine, I'm not, apparently you're not playing it right to, to go and level up. I find that very strange as a concept in a game. That it, you're not, you know, you're not just spamming making iron daggers to level up three levels in three minutes, <laughs> uh, or you're holding up your shield to level up three levels in three minutes. Um, I think that that it's wrong to say I'm playing it wrong. I think it's correct to say the game is not well designed in that respect. I just wouldn't find that to be very much fun to do that sort of thing. So I wouldn't play it that way. I wouldn't say that anyone is wrong for doing it. It's like saying I'm going to ignore this problem, um, but I, well, but I'm. But that, 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 therefore, it's not a problem. Well, I was going to say, like, is it a problem if you don't do that? Like, then it's not yeah, a problem. I, I kind of agree with Eddie. It's not something that crossed my mind. I just kind of. Well, I think I think that in that case, you're ignoring a better route to level up, and that the, the whole sure. the game is about being stronger, but the game, and getting stronger. Well, not I'm not playing to win. I'm playing to go through the narrative as my character and role play. <laughs> but this is something I, I mentioned to you, Eddie. Like, if you're really going to get into narrative, surely you're going to get into narrative. I want to get stronger. I want to be the best kind of character I want to be. <clears throat> but it doesn't make any it doesn't make any difference to the story if you do that because the because the the world levels with you. So doesn't matter how much leveling up you do the, the world is going to just you're never going to be a badass until you get right to the very top because you everything scales with you so you, you don't bother you you roll with it you you role play you can do the you know all the question stuff in any order you like because the difficulty is set so they'll always be matched to your level see i disagree with that i don't think it does quite absolutely balance out with you i found that the high level i got i noticed changes quite quite quickly um i found it easier to defeat um to defeat characters because of the powers I gained. You know, I really, I focused on, for example, I put all my skills into blacksmithing and I very quickly beefed up my combat because um, that was another thing I could beef up quickly, just holding up the the shield and making sure I had the 20% thing. So it was kind of like I was using those two things in tandem and eventually I had a very powerful character, which I could spam winning most things by just doing this, this sword and shield. And I realized that you're saying I'm not, I get where you guys are coming from, and I know there's a lot of people saying it, but I, I feel like people are very willing to adapt to the game. And I think that that's unfortunate. The game should adapt to the player. See, I wouldn't well, call that adapting to the well, game. I would just I'd say, say you're doing it. I'd say, I'd say it's the other way around. You're the one who's adapting to the game because you're looking to find exploits in it, whereas I think what Eddie and I are saying is that we, we just sort of role-played it. And, the way I but surely, surely there should be something for both of us, for both people who want to possibly. get Poss- better. Possibly, but I mean, I, I've never approached a, an RPG that way. You know, I, 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 the, the whole filling bars thing doesn't work with me, which is why I don't like MMOs. You know, I, I, I find MMOs tedious because I just find them pointless. So I, I, I find that strange as a concept in not approaching an RPG. I mean, it's a, the role playing, yes, but the way that's a misnomer with RPGs. The whole point of RPGs is, is getting stronger. That's another huge no, side. It's to not. It. It's not because if you look where they come from. You know, I, I play a lot. Used to play a lot of tabletop RPGs. It's not about being getting stronger. Did I? Yeah, it's about role playing. It's about. It's but a, surely, when take... if you're getting into a role, you are the role. If you say 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 the basic premise is you want to save the world. Yeah. Right. The best way to save the world is to get stronger. And this is why I, I find it a strange double. Uh, it's like it works both ways. I don't. I don't quite understand well, how you can get into a role and then ignore this way of that's, this thing of how you can save the world better. That's not. That's probably the reason why I like Oblivion and uh, Skyrim so much. Is because that isn't your goal. Yeah. It's not. It's not like um, 
you set out to go out and save the world, what you what you do is you 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 know you, you take two steps into the world, and immediately someone comes up to you and says, "Hey, do you want to fancy doing this?" And you go away and do it, and then you sort of meander through doing different things in different places. You know, you end up in a new town, and people come and ask you to do things. You go, "Oh, sure, I'll go and do that." Or or you and and you role play on that. So someone might come up to you and suggest you help somebody out, and someone else comes over to you and says, don't help them out, come and help me steal from them. And then you choose what you do from that. I'd, I'd, the main quest is the, least impo- it's the least significant thing to me in those games. I tend to, if anything... It's not about the main quest for me. No, 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 no. no. I, 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 I do, I'm going to dispute the fact that I'm, I'm solely focused on the winning. Um, I may have created that sort of idea, and I don't want to get this going down this tangent too long. But um, I like to play those games as someone who wants to help the people of the world, mm-hmm. right? I embraced the idea of not going along the main quest, and I really enjoyed the way Fallout 3 did it because it it was very hard to um, to really exploit that game. No, so you don't you disagree? No, no, I I, well, oh, you agree. Okay. Um, well, yes, because yeah, yeah, because of the perk system, yeah. Yeah, I think I think the perk system worked really well in that game. I don't think there was any. I think Fallout New Vegas is a is got some of the same problems as Karma has. But anyway, um, so I get into that idea. But if I want, I get what you guys are saying, and I think. I can understand someone saying I'm able to ignore it. I just find that it, it, to not therefore to, to ignore the, the problems to say it's not a problem is is, a, is an it's, issue. It's not. I think I'm putting words in Eddie's mouth, but I'm not saying they ignored it. It's just it never crossed my mind. So it's, there's, there's a difference between ignoring something because you you know it's there. But I can honestly say when I played it, that never crossed my mind to do that. Sure, you know, occasionally when you level up, you see, you know, you, you've got certain perks. You think, oh yeah, perhaps I ought to, you know, bias towards using archery a bit more than. Um, you know, one-handed because I want to get the next perk. But at no point did it, I ever consider doing it that way. I didn't even know you could do that. Actually, the, the spamming of the of the um, daggers. Well, it's a very MMO thing to do, I guess. Is is to, you know, when you get your smithing materials, you try to do as much smithing as you can. It, and maybe that's where my sort of way to approach it is rooted. But I, I also don't really get into MMOs. No, so I think it's probably that probably is the the, the key. I mean, I, MMOs to me are just tedious. I just don't understand them, but. But I think Skyrim is a bit like an. It's a little bit in terms of you, in terms of the role playing. But I'm not so sure that it. Well, again, I don't play it. Mission structure. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah the the same sort of structure. I think it it has a lot of the same structure. That's what I find it very strange. What would help for you, Sinan, is if there was a time limit on Oblivion and you couldn't sit around and do all that crap and you had to go forward with the with the narrative. No, that what would, would help me is if the skill system wasn't broken, <laughs> to be honest with you. Wait, but that I, wouldn't I, help? It wouldn't help. No, I dislike that idea. I don't want to touch a timer. I, want to, I enjoy exploring the world. Don't get me wrong. I like taking my time with it. I just want it to challenge me. And this, it, it, I, I don't think it's too much... I feel like if a game is putting any kind of leveling or saying any kind of... You, need, you can get skills or whatever. And I get that that's not why you guys play it but to say that it's not an issue i think that the game is telling you you should get better and i found that this way of getting better is kind of broken and rubbish and and not well designed and <laughs> um so I, I get a bit annoyed if the game didn't tell me i should get better which it does constantly constantly so sort of says you've improved your archery you've improved your this you've improved your that like if it didn't make it such a priority then i get a bit confused i don't I, I understand where you guys are coming from but i still find it a bit confusing how it's there and how it's not crossed your minds but we're clearly just different different approaches and um different perceptions of, of the game
to our three. Uh, I'm going to put the most potential games of the year because they sort of stand out when we look at the top fives. I'm going to get us to all declare our respective top fives very, very quickly because we're a bit over time. Um, we're a lot over time. So let's start with you, Joe. Uh, number five would be Dance Central 2 because I cannot get enough dancing. I just can't get enough. It's so fantastic. Though I wish we could internet dance to dance. We can, still can't do that, but I'm hoping Dance Central no. 3 will fix that. Uh, Uncharted 3 would be number four. Dead Space 2 would be number three. Arkham City would be number two. And, of course, Portal 2 would be number one because it's magical. So Portal 2, your game of the year. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Or you might change it later in an email vote. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, let's go to Zandam. Okay, so my number five is Cities in Motion, which uh, we've not really spoken about at all, but it's basically a, a transport simulator, I suppose. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, go check it out. It's really cheap on Steam at the moment. Uncharted 3 is number four. Mega Ball Story was number three. Skyrim was number two, for mentions pre- uh, reasons previously mentioned. And Dead Space 2 is my number one, go. We've got, we've got a, a minute to talk about Cities in Motion very briefly. Okay, it's uh, real-world cities where you have to design the public transport system in order to make sure that workers can go to work and students can go to college and uh, tourists can get to their destinations. And Every single person in the world is fully simulated, um, which what it does is it poses real-world problems and then turns it into a what essentially is a puzzle game. Um, some of the larger cities uh, are extremely difficult. Berlin, for example, very, very tough to do. It's kind of come out of nowhere. I believe it's a Swedish company. Um, and it's been a pretty big success, I believe. Um, um, it's, it's, this, it's my sort of game, really. It's a game where you have to design things to solve problems. And that's, as you can tell from some of the other games I've mentioned, that's the sort of game that really appeals to me. Uh, again, it's, it's a genre that's, that's not really that well served, and these sort of games don't really come along very often. So, uh, for that reason, and it looks gorgeous. That's the other big thing. I feel really bad about not checking that out, especially since it came in a Steam sale very recently. Um, but I will rectify. I think it was about four pounds yesterday. It's yeah. ridiculously cheap. Bad, bad me. Um, the next year, right, Jeff? Let's go to you next. All right, number five, Deus Ex. Four, Shadows of the Damned. Three, Zelda, Skyward Sword. And I felt like my number two were, by some margin, uh, better than the other ones. And so two is Portal 2, and number one is Dark Souls. Uh, Let's go to you, Eddie, finally, and then on to me. Okay, so my number five is Assassin's Creed Revelations, and we all know about my love for that franchise, so hopefully Sinan won't yell at me too much after the show. Uh, Deus Ex at number four. (laughs) Uncharted 3, also we talked about at number three. And then my number one and two were really kind of just there together. Dark Souls, number two, one, and Skyrim, number one, two. (laughs) That's that's, confusing. And that's uh, that's my third Souls game in a row. Yes, and there have only been two Souls games, so that's amazingly impressive. Okay, so my top five games of the year, we've already talked about uh, one of them, which was Kirby's Epic Yarn, that came in number five. Dead Space 2, which was uh, Zan's... Uh, which which place, where number did you one. put that? Number one. Number one, and Joe, I think you also put it in your, your list. Yes. Uh, so that comes in at number f- for me, those were the only two like places I really I was really certain of. Between my top three, it's very close, and I'm still not really 100% comfortable with my choices. Um, and number three is Dark Souls. Number two is Tiny Wings, an iOS game, and number one is Portal Two. 
before we get on to discussing all the games, I'll very, very briefly touch on Tiny Wings. Uh, uh, it's, it's a one-man game. It was made by uh, Andreas Illiga, who I believe is uh, Swedish. No, German, I apologise. A German developer. It was released in February, and uh, it's just an incredibly charming, beautiful little iOS game where uh, I just don't think anything's used to touch controls as with as much finesse on that system, as, or at least what I've played. Uh, the whole idea is you've got to get a bird uh, as far as you can uh, before the night comes, and you do it by pushing down the touchscreen to make him slide down a hill, letting go, and using his momentum of sliding down the hill, so when he goes on the uphill uh, slope to kind of fly, and he has tiny little wings so he can only fly a little bit, and that pretty much makes the game. There's, there's, there is more to it, there is some depth, uh, and uh, I really just recommend you try it out. It's only 69p or 99 cents on uh, iOS, and I just think it's it's very special. But uh, I, I know uh, only one person who really agrees with me, apart from the Apple Europe store, which is uh, Tim uh, Spaeth of Game Critics. I, I agree. I've, I, you agree? Yeah, yeah, I think it's really good. Uh, what I will say, though, is that the, the, there were a couple of games that were almost the same as that back in the 8-bit days. So it's not anything new. It's just... Um, iOS seems to be a platform that's, pr- that's promoting a lot of game design from that era uh, and you could actually play that game with a button because you just press it or deep press it well true but I, I think without getting too much into it I liked how, it, how I agree, it I, agree. I, I think it's really good I think it's, it's one of the I, I prefer that to Joypad Joyride which is a similar similar game, game. Yeah. Which, some, which some people do indeed think is better but anyway um, let's get going those are our top 5 games of the year I'm just going to go very, very quickly through the number ones for each of us. So that was Skyrim for Eddie, that was Dead Space 2 for Zan, Dark Souls for Jeff, Joe, yours was Portal 2, and mine was Portal 2 as well. So, like you said, Eddie, this is your third Souls game in two years. <laughs> yeah, there have only been two Souls games. So I feel like you are you're going to have to do an extra good job of explaining why Dark Souls from From Software is a potential Big Red Game of the Year. Well, I mean, obviously it's been our... It was our Game of the Year last year. Um, D- Demon Souls was. Demon Souls, yeah. Well, same thing. Um, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> That has been a very promising start. But yeah, it's very much like Demon's Souls, except I would argue that much of its mechanics and the nuts and bolts of how the game functions at a core level have been refined to, to work better. Um, it still maintains much of the, the minimalistic-ness of the, of the plot and your exploration of the world and just the the sheer oppressiveness of what you're up against as a as a silent character although the world is now different i mean you still have these crazy huge boss characters and uh did i mention it's very difficult and more difficult than demon souls the world itself is now put together in a more sprawling way whereas the first game was a a hub world with a number of others attached so here you have sort of a a continuous path through a variety of different areas that show a, a I would say a good deal of variance between them. Um, so there's always something new. You're discovering different ways to connect to different areas. 
and and building your character is like the central uh to me anyway it's one of the central um draws of the game and there's so much diversity in how you can put together your character and what weapons you'll use what what attributes you'll improve and as opposed to something like Skyrim I do find myself in a game in Dark Souls wanting to build the character exactly to spec um and working toward that and I don't know exactly why that is but we'll probably figure it out um and but it just it works you know it there's there's really not a whole lot wrong with it except that it's super difficult. And I know Jeff loves it. I know Jeff loves it. Before I go to Jeff, I'm going to very quickly turn to Zan and Joe because I, I suspect that Zan, after reading how terrified you were of Demon Souls, mm. you've not you've not got around to Dark Souls. Dark no, Souls I, 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 <clears throat> I never finished Demon Souls. I can totally appreciate why people like it, but it's it's not for me. It you know it's just, it's just not it just doesn't work for me unfortunately, but totally understand why uh, people get really into it. Yeah, same goes for me too. There's just never there's just never been a draw for me. I don't really know why. I just don't have much interest in trying it, but I'm glad that people like it. And I do appreciate it for what it is, because I kind of like the fact that the developers of that game are as sadistic as they possibly can be, and people love them for it. So, more power to them. I think that people overplay the difficulty element to it. I mean, they, they are very hard, but that's not what makes the game. I mean, I alluded to earlier that the combat system is just really, really good. It's it's very intricate. You have to pay very close attention to your stamina meter and, you know, when you should use a heavy attack and when to block and you have to pay very close attention to how, you know, to what tells enemies have. It makes, like, every fight feel like a level in Punch-Out. You know, it's, it's very, you know, particularly the bosses, but, like, it's it's very detailed. And there's a lot of skill and a lot of experimentation. The other thing that really appeals to me is just the world. I really like the way these games look. It's very majestic. And not in a like a very over-the-top fantasy way. There's kind of this real like weight and depth to all the areas that you go to. They feel very... I'm trying to think Did you say natural? Like, it, it just feels like a natural world. Yeah, yeah. Although I do have to say that, that I, I'm kind of split on the open world. At first, I liked it more. I think that it, it's very wondrous when you discover how the areas are connected and, you know, find these shortcuts and everything. And it, it reminds me more of the, of the original Legend of Zelda, where you're just kind of, you know, feeling your way through this giant, sprawling world. The downside to it, though, is that the way the areas are connected don't make as much sense. Like, you'll be in the undead parish and it's all bright and sunny and then you go downstairs and it's nighttime in the forest. Um, Is that important in that world for it to make sense? um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm just nitpicking, but that bothered me just just a little bit about, like, the way that the sky would change when you just move over a little bit. Something that bothered me was not so much about that inconsistency because I, I don't think it does matter in Dark Souls because it's all crazy anyway, but um, that it takes a while to to get to places in a lot of cases. You know, it's a little bit more difficult to navigate than just say, oh, I'm going to go back to the Nexus and now jump back into one of the Archstones exactly where I want to be. Now there's there's a little bit more dead time 
in Dark Souls than there was in... Oh, are you sure? I think you might be forgetting how much dead time there was in Demon's Souls. I think you might be forgetting how long it took to get back to the end of a of a chapter if you died there. Then, you know, you still had to go through all that area again. Yeah, um, whereas there are more, there's more checkpointing in Dark Souls. Well, Eddie is referring just, like, to warping. Like, if you want to go to... If you're like, this level's too hard for me, I want to go do another level, you can just warp yeah. it. Yeah, but they, 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 do, they do fix that in the second half of the game. Yeah, it's, it's pretty late in the game. Like, about two-thirds of the way, you get a warp... Something to warp due to a few different places. But for right. a lot of the game, you do actually have to manually... If you decide, okay, this part's too hard, I want to, you know, truck back. And it never takes more than, like, five, ten minutes, but... Um, I want I wanted to I wanted to throw some more weighty potential criticisms at you guys. I feel like you guys are discussing nitpicking, and I want to yeah. you know this is, this is a potential game of the year here. So let's let's throw some of the potential really weighty criticisms against it. Some people yeah. would say that you the, the combat is uh, very much based on how inefficient the AI is, and that it's all about uh, how how bad the AI is and exploiting a badly designed AI. What would you guys say to that? Um, yeah, actually, I, I do have something to. To say, I think that the AI, it's not that much different than Demon Souls. But I want to talk about the visuals a bit, and I promise this ties into that. Because, <laughs> no, no, I'm going, so. I, I'm going somewhere <laughs> with this. Because uh, Demon Souls is a much darker game. Like, visually, it is darker, so you often can't see enemies until they're right up on you. Whereas, Dark Souls has a, a much greater variety in in its uh, in its color palette, so because there's more brightly lit environments, sometimes you can see enemies from further away, and it just feels a little bit goofier when you see an enemy ten feet away and they're not making any motion to come towards you. So there's you know some give and take there. Dark Souls is definitely a more ambitious game, and I think that that highlights some of its flaws a little bit more. So that's where I was going with that. I think that the AI. You know, once you're engaged in combat, it's fine. Occasionally, you do have these sniper points where you can just shoot at an enemy and they won't move, um, and you can just kill them. But that, to me, was, you know, few and far between, and it it was because of the game plays so unfairly towards you in a lot of ways. When you get a, a leg up like that, you feel like... Usually, when you find, like, a glitch in a boss or, like, a way to get them stuck, it feels you know, like, cheating, but in this, you feel like the whole game is cheating you, so when you discover a way to, like, a cheap tactic to, to kill a boss, like, you discovered it, so you feel like it's all fair. Okay. And Eddie, Eddie, if, if I was going to throw to you, I mean, I, I think Zan and Joe are being very diplomatic. I'm going to argue, how can we choose Dark Souls as a game of the year when half the people who approach it find it too difficult to play? <laughs> Or we two, talked about or that the last time. Difficulty. Well, I, I, was, to, I don't think we'd... We, sorry. Yeah, well, I think I was, we hear from them, actually, about yeah, how, I, how it went. I would say, I wouldn't say it was difficult. I kind of agree with what you guys had said. What I find is, is, is extremely unfair is the feeling I had playing it. Play, I'm talking about Demon Souls, which I know is a different game, but they're, to all intents and purposes, a similar ethos. Um, so, I, you know, I didn't... It's not, it's not a difficult game, and the, uh, the combat is challenging. But I don't think it's impossible. You know, it's not like it's impossible. But when bad things happen to you, it just feels extremely unfair as to <laughs> as to what you then have to do to get back where you were. Um, and for someone like me, who when they play games make a lot of mistakes because I 
just the way I am. You know, I, I tend to play in a kind of casual way. I don't really get, you know, I, don't, I never really focus and get really into it, which is why I'm rubbish at fighting games. Mm. Um, it's that is very punishing for, for for someone like me. So much as I, I kind of enjoyed what I played at Demon Souls, and I, I probably played about eight or nine hours of it, but it was just one too many times that it, it sort of kicked me in the nuts, and I thought, well. It's, I can't be bothered with this now. You know, I've, I've just lost about four hours worth of progress. I'm just, I'm just not interested anymore. And I think that's my criticism with it is that they, it suits a ter- certain type of player, which is perfectly fine. Um, it's not an all-encompassing game. It's not something like Uncharted Three, which basically some anyone could pick up and play. That would be my, my observation right. on it, and that's not a criticism. Right, and I was going to say the same thing in response to Sinan and now to you, Zan, and, and don't think that I'm criticizing you as a player or anyone else who doesn't find the game accessible, but I think that the game requires patience and, and some seriousness to your approach, and if you're not doing that, then that's not the, the game's fault. That's just what it takes to be successful in that game. Well, this is far more diplomatic than the Skyrim chat, so I'm thoroughly disappointed. Oh. Also, <laughs> I feel... like, you can't pause the Souls games. Um, I kind of wish... I understand that's for online that's purposes. Um, I kind of wish there was an option to at least do that offline, but I, I can see where Zan's coming from. Like, I know I know you have a kid, and like that, that could be you know, challenging if, if you're playing a game that you can't pause, and you know, some family matters occur, or the phone rings even, or just... There's, yeah. It requires a lot of concentration. You need to, you know, put everything on hold and play that game because. It's, oh yeah, it, when I play those games, I just lock the door and put a sign up that says "Don't bother me" for the next. Five yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm, do, I'm doing this. I'm in Dark Souls Land world. I mean, it's it. not the, yeah, it's not the most convenient game to play. It's the <laughs> no, anti-tiny wings. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly you, you know, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, when I play games, I, I'm hitting the pause button probably every. Five or six minutes, because just the way I play, you know, I, I tend to play for a little bit, pause, do something, look at something, carry on. You know, it's just the way I approach things. So it doesn't, it doesn't flow when I play it because it just feels like it's trying to, it's trying to, you know, I, I'm having to focus so much on it, and and it's just not the way I I approach the hobby really. Um, and like I said, I can totally see. I'm glad it's out there because for some people that's exactly what they want, and and we need games like that. So I I do fully appreciate it. I'm not being a uh, you know, uh, sort of ass kissing by saying that. I, I do really understand where it's coming from. It just, just doesn't. It just it doesn't work for everyone. Which there's no problem with that. We'll clash some heads on the next game. What I will say before we move on is, uh, regards to Wald, I think I think Jeff, from my perspective, you're underplaying the verticality and intricacy and interconnectedness of the Wald. I, I found that a real winning factor in Dark Souls, and it just it really. Uh, Overwhelmed me when I found, you know, discovered those shortcuts and those connections, and uh, I just I I can't really think of another vertical world like it. All the vertical games we think of, like Crackdown and Infamous, and most recently Arkham City, these are I find them like very false on the verticality because it's just lots of raised platforms. Whereas uh, in Dark Souls, is actually it feels like a big house to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, like, like there's a real sense of layering. Are you holding up? Because I'm a potato. Oh, good. My slow clap processor made it into this thing. So we have that. 
I, I don't think again we need to say too much about it. Uh, I'd rather hear the criticisms than the than the praise from people who want to criticise it. And that game, which I'm going to lead on, is Portal Two. I feel bad about it putting it as my game of the year because, and I think Sam, we were talking about this on Twitter very briefly. Uh, for me, it's not as good as Portal, and Portal wasn't my game of the year in the year it came out. What was, by the way? What is? Fallout 3? Is that 2008? It's 2007. No, 2007. Bioshock. I want to say Bioshock. No, yeah, it was the same. Orange Box was the same year as Bioshock. Yeah, yeah so Bioshock, oh, okay. I think, would have been my like 2007 game of the year. Um, yeah, that was a brilliant get- year for gaming. 2007, 2008 were two very, very strong years. So, you know, this is where I'm coming from. I feel like 2011 is just not quite there. Anyway, uh, Portal 2. It's not what came before, and yet it really, really is. Like, the things that are different are that you have extra characters, you have a greater length and much more exploration and a bigger world to find and discover. There's more slapstick humour, or I guess lowbrow humour. It's less about the dynamic between you and GLaDOS. Uh, And, you know, I think in many ways it takes away what made Portal special. But I think what Portal 2 does in Portal's stead is it just... It finds something for everyone. Humour is really sort of middle of the ground and funny in, in every respect. Um, the the puzzling is not as difficult as Portal got, but it's not easy either. I've, I've dis- I, I disagree that it's easy. I think it can be challenging at times. Um, the world is easy to understand and the, the story is easy enough to get. It's almost so easy to get that you don't really need to have played Portal. And... I just think everything about that game screams this is someone, you know, if you're looking for a, again, like when we talk about games to represent gaming, I'd, I almost want to put Portal 2 there more than Portal because I think Portals can be a little bit too tricky I still think Portal is a better game, I, I think it has something special in, in its dynamics in its atmosphere, Portal 2 lacks it but it's still really good it still does things really well. It, it... Yeah, I, I, I mean, it's, I put it, I think, number seven or eight on my overall list. Uh, I'm probably one of those people that it, it did great on, and I wasn't looking for negatives in it because I, I loved the first Portal. But as someone who's not a fan of Valve games, um, there was just too much Valveness in it, really, for for my liking, and that's probably why it's not higher up on my list. Um, so what kind of valveness do you mean? Because it's funny. I'd actually say it's it's less valvey than. Oh Portal. no, it's very it's very valvey. Go on, go it, explain. Um, well, Valve tend to do this thing where they have um, uh, kind of environments that are artificially fluid and dynamic, and and so you're always feeling like they're they're showing you how clever they are all the time. They, the other thing that they uh, and, and they always tend to throw in a lot of kind of physics based puzzles, and I felt with the with the fluid dynamic stuff that was introduced, which which was really good because it did you know it did do some interesting things, but it just felt like it just felt like the way that Valve's their design philosophy seems to be just to to take an idea and then to do lots and lots of different things with it, and it felt very much like that in Portal Two. My other big issue was it with it was that the um, and the thing that really great with with me the most is that again this is a thing I found in the Half Life games the science fiction is just daft and I know some <laughs> people love that um, but this is the sort same sort of science fiction that you find in Doctor Who which I also cannot stand um, uh... so I that kind of whimsical 
completely surreal sometimes. Sonic screwdriver approach to the Sonic screwdriver. Yeah, I I really cannot live with, which probably explains why um, Death Space Two is quite so high up on my list. Um, and um, Portal Two is just full of that, and 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 just one like one prime example of that. Okay. Uh, and I, I shouldn't really read any kind of reality into this thing, okay? Because it's, it's just supposed to be completely daft. But if Aperture Science existed, the oldest part of Aperture Science would be at the top, not at the bottom. And I know it's a really trivial thing, and you could say it's nitpicking, but it drove me mad. For the, so from the point in the game where you get that twist and you think, oh, you know, this is... And I thought that was really good, the fact that they kind of introduced, you know, this is how it was originally. But then as soon as they did that, it just made no sense to me because that bit would be at the top, and not at the bottom, but it's at the bottom. And I know you kind of have to play the game to, to understand that, but it just is completely illogical. And that is like a, a, a sonic screwdriver on the scale of the Aperture Science facility. <laughs> That's funny, I'd never even crossed my mind. <laughs> no, I, I, I guess sure it didn't, because if you enjoy if you re- I mean, I, I really enjoyed the puzzles, I thought they were excellent. Um, but things like that, and that's something that Valve do in all their games, they, that's one of the reasons why I find their games so difficult to, to get along with, because they do these crazy, crazy things, which just put me off. See, what I would like, before we go on to, to move to other people, what I found, it, in terms of being less valve I felt it was less about discovering these things for yourselves and for the puzzles, which I think is something Valve have really pushed through with like from Half-Life 2 onwards, I'd say, in terms of you know really working things out for yourself. I felt Portal 2 felt like a step of embracing the larger audience that it was obviously intended for and was more concessional and you know I had to sort of put my humble hat on and say well okay that's because there's a larger audience but I, I like that they didn't used to explain stuff so much uh, in their games that I feel like maybe Left 4 Dead onwards it's changed a little bit with Valve but that, that's that's me. Let's see Joe you also liked Portal 2 I did. I, I I just think it's just so much joy in that box. I think everything about it is just so merry and, and, and gleeful that I, I, I loved every second of it. I, I, I understand that, you know, it, it didn't have the originality of the first one uh, in, in some ways. And for that, I, I can't say it's a better game than the first one either. But I, I just think that there's nothing else like it. And the way that it uses its writing to bring you into the game and make you love every second of it in addition to the just incredibly clever puzzles that they put in there and and the co-op mode which was a, a fantastic addition mm. um yes, i mean f- having four different portals at your disposal is crazy <laughs> and it, it bends your mind in ways that no other game does and i think it's it's so much fun to play yeah, and i, I really 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 loved it yeah absolutely so i'm i, I know jeff that you're also a big fan of it number two um but i'm going to sort of throw this question to everyone if that's okay but then, then we'll move on so again like with Dark Souls I want to ensure that this is balanced that we come at it with uh, equal criticisms a lot of people will say that the big thing about Portal was the dynamic between you and GLaDOS and the way that the two of you well you know the, as a player reacted to the way that she was kind of screwing with you and Portal 2 really takes that takes the humour of that and the uh, the atmosphere of that and throws it away and puts something else in its place. Is it is it really comparable to what was there before? Is it is it on the same level? I don't think it's quite well, on the same level, but I, I like the characters. I still like Glados and her interaction, and I like uh, Wheatley as well, which is a new addition. I, I think it's still there's still something of value there. It may not be the same, but I think that might be because 
it's not brand new. You know, it's not a shiny new package anymore. I mean, if I had to get nitpicky, I'd say that the the new stuff with Cave Johnson, I felt was the weakest stuff. With, with GLaDOS, it really made sense that she was taunting you because she was this, like, you know, um, psychotic AI. With Cave Johnson, he's, you know, the boss of this company. So some of his messages felt a little bit more forced. Like, you know, why would he, like, publicly insult his test candidates all the time in his chambers? That, that was a little silly, but the lines were still funny, so it didn't bother me that much. And it was basically just his Spider-Man character in Portal 2. Yeah. Yeah, basically. So, like, and also, you know, as you were alluding to, I've seen, uh, you know, I've seen that character before, Hmm. um, you know, before from that actor. So, um, it felt a little less original to me, but that, like, that was only a small part of the game, and you know, he still had some good lines. But I really liked that they didn't just do the same thing over and over, because I was worried that it was going to be, you know, 11 hours of going through test chambers and GLaDOS taunting you. And I was kind of glad that your relationship with her ch- changes a little throughout the game. And I I was worried that they'd bring in too many new characters, and they really didn't. There's like four characters. So it's still, it still felt appropriate to the scale of the game. Um it wasn't like Arkham City where they just threw in everything. <laughs> and and so, yeah, I thought that it was, like, it was really tasteful and well done. Plus, it has what's probably my favorite ending to any game ever. <laughs> Which we can't spoil, unfortunately, in case <laughs> uh, anyone out there has not that played Portal 2. But, um... My only real um, hang-up with Portal 2, I, I enjoyed Portal 2 a lot. Um, it, it just didn't make my top five because, I don't know, I just... I, Maybe I'm tired of just playing with the portal gun only. You know what I mean? Like, it gets old. See, I've never, I've actually not heard that criticism before. And that's funny. I've never, I, I don't know why I've not heard that criticism before. I'm not even sure what to say to in reply to it. I, I, I like I the don't portal know. gun. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I like it too. It's just, I don't know. I just didn't feel like I could justifiably put it on the top five list. Which is interesting because do you think you needed a gun gun? No, I don't. I don't know what I needed. Maybe maybe I didn't need Portal Two. I I can kind of uh, get what Eddie's saying, and um, I definitely would not want uh, to play a Portal Three. I, I feel like I've you know I've experienced enough of it. As it, I was quite happy with just Portal One actually. To be, I think a lot of people honest. were. Yeah. So. Um, I can I can sympathise with that view. I, I you know for me I felt that it you know uh, there was enough variety in it that it justified uh, another game, but it did feel to me at times a bit stretched. Um, you know it, you know some of the particularly some of the later stuff um, where if anything the puzzles get easier towards the end. It, True, yeah, it started to feel like they were either running out of ideas or they were just hoping yeah. that by that point you just you know. You just shut your eyes and do what you need to do and ignore what everything else is going on because they want you to get to the end. You know, they want you to experience the finale. I think I think we'll save the, the end game for me was I think Wheatley, Wheatley's character took on a new dimension and I don't want to spoil it, but it, 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 some of the best lines from his character are in those final few levels. Uh, and even though it takes a while to get from each line to each line and that's a whole separate criticism of Portal 2, uh, the whole 
formula, I guess you'd say. I, I still wanted to get to those lines. Uh, I guess what I'd say very briefly before we move on to the last game is uh, no other game does what Portal does. So that's why I'm quite happy to have a Portal 3 because I'll play a ton of other games and then I'm back with a Portal gun. Woo! And on that note, let's do our last game. And, uh, you know, Joe, I think yes. with this one we can be pretty brief because I'm not entirely sure there's much more to say because we did, I think, a big discussion of Dead Space at some point. We did. Yes. So, Joe, your second favourite game of the year, Zan's favourite game of the year, my fifth favourite game of the year, or fourth favourite game of the year, I apologise, one of the two, it doesn't matter at this stage. Why is the Visceral Games developed EA-published Dead Space 2? A potential game of the year. Honestly, it was the most thoroughly unpleasant game that I played this year. Yet, it's still very, very high up on my top five because I enjoyed every second of it. So You're going to have to I, qualify that statement a little. I understand. <laughs> I, so you're, as you play Dead Space 2, it's not so much the jump scares or any of that stuff in this game that gets to you. It's, it's really... They do a great job of um, ammo restriction and making you constantly feel overwhelmed from the start of that game to the end of that game. And it gets to such a ridiculous degree by the last two hours of that game that you literally can't focus on anything else but surviving. And I thought that was really kind of great because I hate it in, in most games, and even in the first Dead Space, where you kind of feel too overpowered most of the time to really fear anything. And in Dead Space 2, I'm not going to say you weren't overpowered because you were, but it did a great job of tricking you into thinking that you were literally never going to make it out of this game alive. And as unpleasant as that was, I, I second I finished that game, I literally had to exhale and say, wow, reflect on what I just did and say that was an incredible, incredible experience. And I, I really think that I, Visceral has really nailed it. I think that they did a great job of, of marrying fun gameplay concepts with uh, an interesting world and just fear, just constant fear of what's around the next corner. And I, I can't say that about many other horror games going today. I cannot disagree more. <laughs> really? Wow! I found Dead Space. I mean, I wrote up the response to the Dead Space discussion, and and I think Dead Space Two felt just like cardboard to me. Like I, I didn't feel connected. I wasn't immersed like I should be in a in a horror game, and I felt like I was outside looking in on something that I was not afraid of. I felt safe. I didn't feel tense, and it wasn't it wasn't scary. It wasn't eerie or anything. I was just walking through hallways to get to the end point. And it just felt like an, uh, just another, just an action game through uh, space hallways. Zan, this was your game of the year. What, what do you say in response to that? Um, well, I, I, I just, just didn't have the same experience, so it's it's very difficult for me to, to say, really. I mean, I, 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 I was sitting here nodding to everything... Um, that was originally being said before Eddie sucked the life out of me. <laughs> um, I just found Dead Space 2 to be... I thought it was very clever uh, what they did with the sequel in that they didn't remake Dead Space. They actually made it different. And there is an allegory with uh, the Aliens films in that uh, the original Dead Space very much feels like, feels like Alien. And um, Death Space 2 very much feels like Aliens in that it's set in a colony that's been completely overrun. And rather than it being tense from claustrophobia, uh, it's tense from 
the oppressive nature of the environment. It it, it had a similar kind of vibe for me to to, to Bioshock. Oh, thank you. Um, and I I just loved every bit of it. And and you've heard me sort of rattling on a little bit about bad science fiction, but in my my opinion, I I, I just find the science fiction of Dead Space to be aside from the crappy EA spin-off things they've done, to be so well-realised and thought out. It's um, without sort of overloading you with backstory and prose and stuff. You can determine so much from just the environment and from little bits and snippets that you pick up. And the whole conceit of the the, um, the unitologist is, is just a, um, it's, it's a wonderful piece of science fiction because science fiction is always really an, uh, an allegory of... of, of the real world today it's always about one particular issue and clearly the the unitology stuff is all about religion with and it's it's not just about scientology which some people talk about but it's about all religions it's, um, particularly there's references to christianity and and, and, and uh, islam in there as well and i just think that the way they spin that into the story and then create this action game that's polished to, to within an inch of its life is 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 just wonderful if i was to have a a negative criticism of it, I would say that um, uh, it kind of loses its way towards the end, which seems to be a kind of video game thing. A lot of games just don't know how to finish. Um, but I thought the, the start of the game was wonderfully done, the way it introduces you into the, the controls and the character again. And I didn't have a problem with him speaking either, which seems to be something that a lot of people are upset by. I, I want to jump aboard everything you said, really. I think uh, the Bioshock comparison is so apt and... Uh, Especially, and I think these, these, those, those, these particular two chapters are my two favourite sections, if you want to call them that, of a, of a game this year. The, the, the kindergarten section and the unitology section, uh, which I think are, are chapters three and four in Dead Space 2. And there's just so much going on. There's loads going on. It's just like an environmental ba- buffet. Just take what you want, find out as much as you want. And I'm with you. I didn't have the same experience that Eddie had. And I... I it, I, I'm sad that you didn't have the same experience we had, Eddie. Yeah, you know, I find this hilarious, too. I felt like the second half sort of improved on the first half for me. Like, the objectives, the things you had to do felt more tangible. Like, I, like I, there were goals that I had, like, real things that I wanted to do. Um, and I felt like it used his insanity better, because I, I felt like it was just not well... It wasn't put to good use early on in the game, and when they started to bring that out, it, it got better at the end for me, which is interesting. And I felt like the the situations you were put in toward the end were better than in the beginning. Um, so I only got to play half of it. I borrowed it from a friend, and then he needed it back. So I liked it. I liked it quite a bit, actually. I thought it was really fun. It wasn't quite, you know, good enough to make my my list. It would, you know, might make like the bottom part of my top twenty or something from what I saw. Um, it, you know, it was good. It just there was very little about it that I found that memorable. Uh, like when I yeah. stop and think about my, you know, seven hours or so with it, the only thing that really sticks in my mind is the kindergarten segment, as uh, Sinan alluded to. I, I, I feel like, you know, as Eddie said, I didn't find it very scary just because I found the pacing very predictable. Like, you go in an event, and it's supposed to be very claustrophobic, but because you have so little control over your character, you know nothing bad is going to happen in that event. And, um, you know, same with the insanity, in, excuse me, the insanity segments that I got to, everything just turns sepia-toned, and 
you go through kind of an interactive cutscene, and it, you know, at least you know from the first half, I didn't see. Um, you always knew you were safe in those parts where you're supposed to be scared, or you go to a switch and there's no enemies around, and you know as soon as you flip that switch, you're going to be assaulted. And I just found it very predictable. And you know, that being said, it was you know very tight, you know, responsive action game and. You know, I like the zero gravity stuff. I thought that was improved, and yeah, I liked it. It just wasn't like super memorable um, to the point where I would make yeah. a bigger effort to play it more. <laughs> I just, like I said, I've I've had this kind of discovery, kind of thinking about these games this year, that I am this moment gamer, and, and the more moments in a game, the better, the better it is for me. And Dead Space Two has loads of them. They're just see, I, I didn't feel that way, but go on. Yeah, I didn't either. But. Well, you're crazy, but there there are. I didn't, you know. I think my it has my favorite sections. The favorite moment is halfway through. You 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 know. We talked about Uncharted Three and all how it does its its gameplay of interactive cutscenes, if you want to call them that. I think Dead Space Two beat it this year at that with what it does halfway through the game. Uh, I agree. That one moment was better than any moment in Uncharted Three. Yep, I'd, I'd go along with that. It's it's um. It's definitely more of a, yeah. I think the comparison to Uncharted, the Uncharted series, is quite quite apt for Dead Space Two because it it definitely is strung together that way. The the kind of pacing of it is very different from the the previous game. It feels more like you are on a. It feels it might it has that kind of movie interactive movie feel to it, which the the first game certainly didn't. Um, but I know that I know the bit you're yeah. talking about as well, and I I, I mean there were several several moments for me. I mean the. The, 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 there's a, uh, a kind of um, area you visit where there's a guy that lives on his own. Oh um, yes, that's excellent. Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I tend to disagree. Actually, I, 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 I'm with you, sir. And I thought there were many standout moments. I, and I actually really like the ending, but I just thought the, the lead up to the ending just felt a bit, um, the kind of running out of ideas. I don't know whether it's because they're running out of time or something, but it just felt a bit predictable. And let's just throw everything at you and see what happens. I, I, a minor spoiler here for. For people, so skip the next ten seconds. But the return of the of the necromorph, I think it's called, was disappointing. I just the indestructible thing. Yeah, the indestructible yeah. character. Just... Although I've subsequently discovered you can kill it almost instantly. Yes, um, near... I've seen it too. Yeah, I didn't know that. I think the other thing to point out, um, which maybe some of the guys don't appreciate, is you can play this game in a enhanced mode. It's, it's not quite. It's just kind of new game plus, but it's it's a. a, a a special difficulty you can play it under, which in which you only get three saves, and I'm told by uh, fans of the game that that is the kind of um, most enjoyable way to play it because the the, the particularly if you're you know if you come from the kind of demon soul school of tension building, then that is definitely uh, uh, another way of playing it, which certainly creates far more tension than you would do just going through it normally. Another big thing to say just before we move on is that it you know Dead Space we all criticised I think. Uh, for having a bit too much of the Doom, you know, closet monster thing. Dead Space Two improves on that too. I, fe- I felt like it did. It improved on all the things I wanted it to improve on. I, I don't know why it's not quite a bit higher on my list. I think that maybe the end, like you say, Zan, is just it sucks a bit of the life out of it for me. But um, you know, I, I, it's a, I think it's a very good game, and I'm glad that it's a potential game of the year along with the other ones we've mentioned. And we really should decide what is the big red game of the year. So after this little musical interlude the big red game of the year will be announced
of the votes are in. I'm going to do this in the order I can see it in my inbox. That's how these are official voting things work. Because I got everyone to email me on a secret ballot, just in case they might vote tactically. And I can tell you that one person has. So, let's go through the list. Zan did vote for what you put forward as your game of the year, which was Dead Space 2. Jeff, you did vote for your game of the year, which you put forward as Dark Souls. So that's one for Dead Space 2, one for Dark Souls. I went with my game of the year, which was Tiny... No, it was Portal 2. Joe, you also went with your game of the year that you put forward, which was Portal 2. Now, Eddie... You'd said Skyrim was your original game of the year, but you voted as putting Dark Souls forward for game of the year, which ties things to all <laughs> between Portal 2 and Dark Souls. Now, much to my own chagrin, I did a big uh, introduction thing of saying there will not be two games of the year this year, and there won't be. So we had a little think about it whilst, uh, whilst there was a little interval, and we'd agreed that the person who uh, had the casting vote, whichever game they would put ahead of the other, would get to decide which was the game of the year. That would be you, Zan. Mm-hmm. I have a suspicion yeah. that you would put one game above the other. Would you Would you kindly reveal which game you would? Portal 2. Portal 2. So <laughs> Souls game doesn't win it two years in a row. Doesn't, doesn't do it. It's Portal 2. It's officially the big red game of the year 2011. Cute fanfare yeah. and dancing girls and yes, <laughs> <laughs> I think this might be my first time. singing robot spirits. This is my first. No, Demon, I got Demon Souls in year two. Uncharted two was someone else's, but I'm I'm happy. Portal two. That's my first. I think I'm going to count as my first real game of the year to win. I'm happy with it. That's good. Well done. Well done, Woo! Sam. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, and I I think it's a it's a pretty strong choice, but I think. At the same time, like we've all kind of said, I don't know, just... It's kind of... I think it's sad that it's clearly not as good as Portal. Or it's maybe not as great as Portal, is a better word. And we still won. Yeah, it's an example of the type of games that have been out this year. I mean, I've seen in a couple of other votes things like Saints Row 3 winning and stuff. You know, I think it's going to be one of those years where every site or something is going to pick its own own winner based on their own tastes. So not visiting that site again. (laughs) <laughs> I've seen a couple actually. I, mean, I think we established that this year is very iterative. Like most of the ga- games on our list were all sequels. You know, Dead Space, Zelda. You know, Dark Souls is basically a sequel. Portal, and and they're all. And a lot of these are sequels to games that were already really good. So you know, didn't you know the case of Portal? You're right. It's I'm not sure I'd say it's worse, but it's you know about the same. And I think in the case of Portal, it just says how damn amazing the first Portal was. Mm-hmm. That an Agreed. amazing, amazing full-price product can't compete with a $15 downloadable. That was just the most mind-blowing thing ever. That's a very mm-hmm. half-glass-full yeah, approach. Half-full-glass. Yeah. I don't know what the words. Anyway. Yeah, well, 2012, full. step it up. Yeah. Anyway, at least we didn't vote for Dead Island, eh? Uh, so, on that note... <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! that's our game of the year discussion and uh, thank you very much for taking part in it all of you guys Sam, Jeff, Eddie and Joe we are so quickly over time 
I don't think there's time for real plugs or recommendations. No. You know where everyone is at. So you know what we do. We'll be back in January with a new show. We're going to be continuing what we've been doing over the last few months, regular shows each month. And uh, looking ahead, we've already planned a couple and they look absolutely brilliant. You can find us at twitter.com forward slash bigredpotion. You can find us at bigredpotion.com. We are on iTunes. Uh, we are on Facebook. We're in your We're in your garden we're up underneath the bed. We're everywhere. Look out for us in 2012. Bye from Zan. Oh, sorry. Cheerio. <laughs> Bye from Jeff. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye from Joe. Toodles. Bye from Eddie. Arrivederci. And a happy new year from me. Toodlepip. It's been a long time. How have you been? differences behind us. For science, you monster. <laughs>